So do you ever do those things that, you know, you're doing something and you are really enjoying it, but after you look back and think, you're like, wow, if I ever described this to someone, they would think I am the most boring person in the world. Do you just mean my life in general? Essentially what I'm saying is I listen to like an hour long podcast about rice. (laughs) (laughs) And it was great. But then at the end, I was like, wow, that, yep, I did that. And then also at one point, I felt like they read me to filth because they're talking about like, oh, yeah, we love making rice and having a bunch of leftovers and we're a family of four, so when we're cooking, if we're wanting a bunch of leftover rice for another meal, we'll do, like, a mm, cup and a half of rice. And I was like, oh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> okay. Sometimes I eat a cup and a half of rice as a meal. For one. <laughs> you know, the uh, correct serving sizes of grains, you know, rice, pasta, all of that, it's insulting. It's like, oh, yeah. it's like, I'm sorry, I'm supposed to have, like, four elbow noodles? Like, I'm not, I'm not full. <laughs> <laughs> like, listen, it's like, oh, a serving size of rice is the amount of grains that would fit in, a like, a two-month-old baby's hands. That's it. I'm like, uh, okay, I'll just <laughs> sit here and eat 85 servings. You're like, just give me my rice. I just want rice. Um, but yes, I listened to an hour-long podcast about rice not even like cultivating it was literally about like cooking rice and like what we do with our leftovers it's not even history of rice and different types it's literally we cook it over the stove be sure to add enough water but not too much water and you're gonna want to fluff with a fork i mean there was like a 10 minute segment about you know cooking it the pasta method where you put in like a shit ton of water and then like drain it or using a rice cooker it was very boring, but very uh, enjoyable. Maybe you are just boring sometimes, but that's okay. I think I'm boring all the time. <laughs> I do not think you are. I do not agree. Yay. Well, hello, everyone. This is Blood and Wine. I'm Brittany. And I'm Tyler. And this podcast is not about rice, uh, but it is about wine and uh, also just some real, real fucked up crimes. And we also hope you don't think it's boring. Uh, yes, that too. Uh, I mean, I'm just going to say, with uh, the my case this episode, uh, there is nothing boring about it. Same. But before we get into, like, topic and all of this stuff, did you see that really long uh, review we had on Apple Podcasts? <gasps> yes. Or they were like, I made it to episode 38, um, so I wanted to review now. Which was so sweet. Like, I know we generally talk about this at the end of the episode, but I'm just like, you know what? Gonna change it up. We're gonna talk about it now. Because literally, these reviews you guys post on Apple, no joke, make our freaking day. And this person just, like, got us to our souls. And honestly, the part when uh, they were talking about siblings made me, like, almost tear up a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. Because, you know, that's basically someone can sneeze and I'll cry, but it's okay. Oh my god, that's real. Super off topic, but I definitely spent like 15 minutes a day crying because I saw this thing on Facebook about this guy who has a YouTube channel, and when he was a kid, his dad left, and now he's like an adult. He has like two adult children of his own. So he started this YouTube channel called Dad How Do I? 
Um, oh. And it's just different tasks. Like, you know, dad, how do I unclog the sink or like fix my toilet? And he was like, yeah, I made it so that, you know, all the kids that grow up, you know, without dads who would normally ask these questions to, uh, you know, they have, uh, they all have a dad to go to now. I cried for like 15 minutes. Oh, I cried watching a TikTok video because this guy had to put down his cat and it was like oh. a dedication video to his cat. Oh my God. Oh my God. God, Brittany. Yeah, but those are like 60 seconds and I was just like weeping because, yeah. Um, So that's, both of those were actually examples of real things that make you cry, not like sneezing, like I was just saying. But I do cry really easily. I get choked up. Um, You know what? I just, I'm I'm an emotional person, okay? You know what? (laughs) Emotions on the surface are better than burying them till you die. Yeah, don't do that. Um, Because then they bottle up and it's, uh, eh, that can be pretty bad. And also, just wanted to say thank you to all of our new Patreon members. We see you guys popping up. Hope you are enjoying our murder minis. So if you haven't heard of Patreon, you're a skipper. But that's okay. (laughs) We love you, no matter what. We do. And I get it. (laughs) I know. But... If you haven't heard of Patreon, that is where we've got some extra content where you guys can help support us, help us keep this podcast going. We have like over 40 different murder minis, which are just um, like little mini episodes. And you can hop on over there and listen to all of that and also see photos of us and recipes and just chat with the community. So yeah. Also, if you're a skipper, you're not hearing this at all right now because you <laughs> skipped it. Uh, also, uh, while you're checking out our Patreon, uh, make sure to double check that you are subscribed to us. We're on all of the different podcast listening platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Pandora. Check that you're subscribed. That way you'll automatically get notified every time we release a new episode every Tuesday. Yes. So, Tyler, are you ready for me to jump into the topic? You ready to just do this? I I am. Yes. Go for it. Okay. So, I picked the topic this week, and I alluded to this one a few weeks ago because I had it on the mind. This week, we're doing vampire murders. Also, in a shock to absolutely no one, I will give you one guess as to what Stephen King book Brittany is on right now. The answer is Salem's Lot. <laughs> It may have had a part in uh, determining this topic. You're right. This, you're not wrong. But also, and you know what? I'm just going to let it all be out right now and just be honest with myself. But you guys, I read Twilight. I totally did. And Stephanie Meyer. I, mean, I think everyone did. I think so. But there's her new book is finally coming out. Twilight from Edward's perspective. Midnight Sun. Okay. It doesn't come no. out until August. But... You damn better believe I'm going to get that book and read it. So I'm going to reread my Twilight books. So vampires are just like, I don't know. They've sucked me back in, pun intended. I, yeah, it's a thing. I just cringed (laughs) at that pun. So, yes, vampire murders. We're going to talk about it. No, we're not going to sit here and tell you vampires are real. They're not. But not everyone necessarily believes that. So there you go. We've done, we, we have actually already talked about a few vampire murders, namely Richard Chase. He was pretty creepy and thought he was a vampire. Vampire of Sacramento. He was 
Yeah, Vampire Sacramento. Yeah, and he would drink bunny blood, and then he was like, bunnies aren't enough, I need human blood. And yeah, he would inject it into him, and it was just, he he was a lot, lot of fucked up. Yeah. Well, and you did a murder mini case not too long ago of the Swedish vampire murder. The, uh, the Atlas vampire from the 30s. Oh, yes, I did. That was one where... There were some sex workers that were killed and drained of blood and vampire, Atlas vampire was born. So yeah, it's it's a topic we've uh, touched on before. Honestly, when you first mentioned the topic, I was like, okay. Biggest eye roll ever. Pretty much, because basically I did not want to do the um, Hungarian noblewoman, Elizabeth, but bathory or whatever her name was who like in the 1500s would like bathe in virgin blood to be young and that doesn't work just get like your korean skincare routine instead of murdering children but not the point i didn't want to do that case and when i think vampire murders that's the one i think of so i was like okay let me let me you know do some research and it did not take long before i found my case and oh my god I am actually so glad you picked this topic because holy shit. Okay. I'm scared. That was a you okay. I Yes, you should be very scared. I don't even have any words to what all just happened right there. But I also did not do the queen. So technically like I looked her up because I had that same thought as you, and a lot of her vampiric um, characteristics or whatever none of it is substantiated so i was like i'm not doing another vera Rinci where at the end i'm like and guess what maybe it's not real so um yeah yeah, yeah that was <laughs> you you were so mad at me when i did that i was so mad i'm like are you fucking kidding me you just spin this incredible tale and you're like also by the way <laughs> probably all made up <laughs> and i'm like okay well i can sit here and read you a book too if you want <laughs> To be fair, I didn't learn that until I had like done all the research and I was like, you know what? It is what it is. But today, vampires. Yes, and both our cases, or at least my case is not a lie, uh, like your Verovinci, so My case is uh, not I a lie either. Alright. These are real vampires. Dracula, she quaking. <laughs> she quaking? Quaking. Oh in her boots. <laughs> I thought his name was Dracula. Shirkwakey. Yeah. Duh. Sorry. I didn't know Dracula's last name. I thought it was Dracula. Mm, common uh, misunderstanding. It's actually uh, Dracula's monster. Oh, I thought his name was Bram Dracula. Well, Tyler, before we get into our vampire cases, what wine are you drinking today? Is it blood? It is neither blood nor wine, actually. Tyler. Because. This is a wine podcast what's wrong with you you keep stopping and not doing wine okay listen this one's (laughs) not my fault i walked over to the bodega just a couple hours ago to get a bottle of wine and as i turned the corner there's like eight police cars someone had broken in and robbed the place and like the entire side it's one of those places where the the walls are like floor-to-ceiling windows and someone had just shattered one of them and gone inside to steal like 10 packs of cigarettes or something lame as shit like that are you serious and so i was like yeah i'm like really really that window you broke costs more money than what you stole way more but yeah so i saw that and i was like well 
Uh, nope. And the only bottle of wine I have in my apartment is a very expensive one that I'm saving and I'm not going to drink today, so I am not drinking wine in this episode. I uh, have two Strongbows left in my fridge, so I will be drinking something. But, uh, yeah, I no, no wine for me. I'm sad. I was looking forward to it. I was like, ooh, I'm going to get a deep cab. That's going to be nice and heavy and nope. I know, and honestly, like, the perfect episode to pair with a deep red, but... Oh, motherfucker, yes it is! Yeah. <laughs> I just thought about that. <laughs> and I'm positive. I could have looked, and there's probably, like, Vampire Red Blend, or something like that. There's actually a wine called Vampire. Oh, God, I'm so good. <laughs> or you've seen it in the store, and just don't know you've seen it, but you've seen it. But, um... Yeah, so for this episode, sadly, I don't have wine, but I do have Strongbow. Which, Strongbow's my favorite drink, so it's fine, but I'm sad. I was looking forward to the wine. This is why you just need to stock up. Did you not learn that in quarantine, to stock up on your wine? I thought everyone else learned that. I got spoiled by a bodega. Fair, you did. So, Brittany, I hope you're actually drinking wine for this episode, or we both fail. So, what uh, what what wine are you drinking? Vodka, actually. Wow, just straight vodka, room temp, taka. Smirnoff, Straight out of actually. the plastic bottle. Okay, well, that's a little classier. <laughs> no, I do have wine. I do have a red wine, but I didn't really think through what I could have picked. But you know what? Mine is definitely better than Strongbow as far as a connecting. It is a red, at least. <laughs> okay, you know, this one, I think we called this wine segment just hashtag missed potential. <laughs> hashtag we fucked up. Um, <laughs> so this is the 2017 Chateau de l'Endure Minervois from the Languedoc region in France. And so this is a red blend. It's 40% Syrah, 40% Grenache, and 20% Morvedre. Which sounds like a really interesting blend. I mean, that's three different varietals that I don't drink very often. I would say uh, Syrah Mm -hmm. is probably the one I would have more often. Or maybe Grenache. But not necessarily together. And Mauvais, definitely not one I have very often at all. This wine has aromas of black pepper, leather, fresh herbs, and blackberries on the nose. So that has a lot of those deep, spicy, earthy characteristics that you know I really love in red wine. It's a dry red wine, medium bodied, and also has some medium tannins and acidity. When you taste it, it's supposed to have subtle black raspberry, cassis, and spicy, earthy flavors and smoke. But the blackberry and the spice are those dominant flavors. Ooh, that sounds like a cobbler. Good. Fuck up a blackberry cobbler. Yeah, but do you want one that tastes like blackberry and black pepper? I'd try it. I bet that would be awesome. (laughs) I would totally try it. It's one of those things that you're like, ooh, would that go together? But like, shit, fresh strawberries with balsamic and fresh cracked black pepper are incredible, so. Oh, you have a point. I can see it. You have a point. I have those salads. This, maybe it would go well with that as a salad, but it also goes really well with beef, veal, and pasta. So like red sauce. All of these wines that we do, I guess veal is just not huge or as big in America as it is in other places. I don't think I've ever had veal. I don't even know where I would go buy veal. You can get it at restaurants. I've never had it either. 
But it's also, well, you and I, we're not, we're not going out to all these fancy restaurants and having, like, fragois and veal and escargot. I, I do love escargot, Well, though. I mean, I know that, like, veal parmigiana is, like, a very traditional Italian recipe and meal. But all of these wines assume I eat a lot more veal than I do, which is none. That's why it's okay to drink your wine with whatever food you want. This wine is $10 from Total Wine, and the reviewer said that it really is a pretty good alternative to a Chianti, and I bet that's because of, like, the berry mixed with, like, the black pepper. So if you're a Chianti drinker and you want to try something outside of Italy, the Chianti is the Sangiovese grape, so maybe the combo of the Syrah, Grenache, and Morvege will create this similar medium-bodied, peppery, berry spicy taste i will let you know and that will be now because i'm gonna open it all right well i guess um i forgot to open my strong bow so let me just you know it really is a good sound it is so i just got the foil thing off and this looks like it has one of those plastic corks and not Mm. not a cork cork (gasps) okay the cork is going down (laughs) 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 that's not right um okay i did not just push the cork halfway into the bottle no not on purpose i was twisting the corkscrew in and the cork went down which oh you know those plastic corks though they're slippery um what did you do (laughs) i'm having some what is wrong with you maybe this is a real cork i'm having some technical difficulties this broke you just shredded that cork. Have you never opened wine before? This is episode 107. <laughs> That's what it's looking like right now. Here, so I'm going to like tear off the top. <laughs> and then I'm going to go back in and get the get the second half of this. You know what? Sometimes this happens, okay? It's okay. If you mess up opening a bottle of wine, it's because you're fucking human, Tyler. Don't make fun of me. Not all of us... We're servers and got to do this on the regular. I am struggling. You are struggling. And I want, I don't want you to say got to do it. Had to. <laughs> okay, To fair. put food on my table. <laughs> it wasn't an opportunity. It was a job. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. But you did learn a lot about wine before you even really liked wine. And, you know, it's just, let's look at things as opportunities, not problems. Okay. Yeah, listen, okay. I... Oh. Well, no, yeah, wow. no no pop sound. <laughs> but look at this. So, listeners, I'm going to show Tyler this cork because it's like it's cork, but it looks like plastic. And I'm confused. Like, it's a foam hybrid. Oh, I don't like it. I don't like it's it like either. It's like a cork sawdust. It's like... Or not sawdust, like a cork plywood. Yeah, it's like, it's like cork mixed with rubber and it's horrible and I hate it. And it made a mess. My desk is a mess. Well, I mean, I also am, you know, I, I'm going to chalk that up to human error as well. You do that. That's fine. I'm going to pour my wine now and, okay. and pray that it didn't go bad or something. We've yet to have that knock on wood. We have yet to drink a wine. It's like, oh, bleh, that's vinegar. I know. And this one doesn't smell like vinegar. It, oh, okay. It smells like blackberry and pepper and, like, spices. Okay, well, um, that took me forever oh. to get into this, so I think we should cheers. I think we absolutely should cheers. I'm gonna just, I guess, slap my can. Okay, slap of the can. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. 
Oh, God, I got it everywhere. Did you just flick it? Yes. All over my, oh, my God, it's all over my laptop. <laughs> I'm sorry, listeners. Oh, my God. Forgive me. Dude, we're, like, off our game. Or maybe we're, like, so on our game. Did you drink a Strongbow before the episode? <laughs> no, but I definitely dented my can doing that. It's fine. <laughs> okay, I'm going to try my wine now. Uh, I'm going to just drink. Mm, yep, that's Strongbow. Interested in learning what it tastes like? Listen to, I don't know, episode 100? Yeah, actually, episode 100. I think, yeah. This is a nice medium-bodied wine. I'm very much getting this, like, blackberry and spice. Those really are the dominant flavors. But I'm also getting little hints of leather and almost a licorice at the end. I don't know if that's supposed to be a part of it, but I'm kind of getting that. And I'm getting a little bit of that pepper and smoke. Maybe more than licorice, I'm getting like a blackberry smoke. Maybe that's what it is. You know. What the fuck is blackberry smoke? <laughs> it's whatever I want it to be. <laughs> okay. That sounds like, I don't know, a shitty made up incense flavor. Not flavor. Scent. Don't eat incense, kids. Don't eat incense. This is This wine is good. I've definitely had better french wines i prefer a bordeaux which there's one in my kitchen and i'm like should i have picked that for this episode but no i do bordeaux a lot this is definitely a blend it is on the medium side i think it needs to breathe i don't think it went bad because of the weird awkward cork and uh user error as you say but it's it's good i don't think i would pay ten dollars again for this wine Fair. So uh, I would prefer a Chianti. If I'm wanting that flavor, I'm just going to go with a Sangiovese. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. Which um, Sangiovese is one of my favorite reds. So oh yeah, I think that's why I I have a little bit of disappointment right now because that reviewer hyped me up a little bit, thinking it was going to remind me of that, and it really doesn't. Other than the fact that it's a medium-bodied wine with fruit and spice. It's not the same type of fruit and spice. This one is not as spicy. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, mine is wonderful. Actually, here's a question for all of our um, English and, you know, I guess European in general, but probably mostly English and British uh, listeners. When I was in London, God, eight years ago, I remember going and seeing, there were like two liter bottles of Strongbow, like you, a two-liter soda bottle what? of Strongbow in the Tesco's. And is that still a thing? Because it was one of my favorite things in the world to see, and I kick myself for not buying one. Yeah. Not, I wouldn't have been able to ship it, but <laughs> I could down, I could, I don't know, shotgun two liters of Strongbow. Ugh. Don't shotgun it. My stomach it. <laughs> just said, no, you can't. Your stomach said, uh-uh, no, no, not happening. I shotgunned a... um something for the very first time just a couple weeks ago it was a white claw i obviously listeners i'm sure you can tell after listening to me for more than 100 episodes was not a like cool kid in high school (laughs) or college and so did not shotgun things also i think beer is so gross but uh yeah i was at a friend's birthday party and they were like we're gonna shotgun white claws and i was like i've never done it and one of them was like okay I'm taking you under my wing. I will teach you. I shotgunned a beer for the first time in like 2014. And I remember this because I had literally gone through college and grad school and had never done this. And it was easier than I thought it would be. Oh, I very much disagree. Granted, 
<laughs> it might have been because it was a white cloth, but it was just so carbonated. I'm like, how the fuck am I supposed to chug this? Also, why? Half of this is just running down my face and chin. Why wouldn't you just drink it? Because it's more fun to shotgun. That's my rhyme of the night. And with that, okay. Tyler, I have my wine. You have Strongbow yet again. Just kidding. Every time you drink Strongbow, it really makes me want one because it's been so long since I've had one. And they're just the perfect drink. But now, I'm ready for you to tell me what vampire you picked for this episode. Who's your vampire murderer? My vampire murderer is John Brennan Crutchley, also known as the Vampire Rapist. Well, I'm thinking that's a trigger warning right off the bat. Yeah, um, this case, honestly, when I found it, I did not want to do it. I was like, this, it's too much. I don't, I don't want, no. And so I looked for other cases, but I kept going back to this one because it is one of the most horrifying, brutal, fucked up cases I've ever heard. I would put it on the same level as like the toy box killer in like, sadistic oh god horrifying and it's one i haven't really heard of before and so i was like because of that i and for for other reasons i'm like i I want to no i I think it's important to tell um, this victim's story yeah it's always important to highlight victims who've basically been forgotten because we shouldn't forget them Absolutely. So, yes, as Brittany mentioned earlier, this this case is all the trigger warnings. Sexual assault, torture, just some of the most gruesome, brutal, horrifying things. So be prepared. So the sources I used, uh, the Wikipedia page for John Brennan Crutchley, his Murderpedia page as well, and then a Ranker article by Kat McAlfee. I think we use a lot of her articles. I think we absolutely do. She must write all the murder ones. Murder lists. Maybe. Maybe she's their, like, you know, true crime... Resident? Columnist? (laughs) Resident true crime expert? Yeah. She's their true crime attending surgeon. So, John Brennan Crutchley. I just already hate that name. It's... It's... No. It's gross. Yeah. His name's gross. He's gross. Uh, We can all agree to just hate him from the start. So, Crutchley, he was born in Pittsburgh in 1941, and growing up, he was one of those kids that was pretty much always alone, didn't really have any friends, and he pretty much spent most of his time, like, tinkering and dicking around with electronic stuff in the basement. So, he would, like, fix different radios or stereo systems, like, real complex things. And just, he liked to, he liked to mess with electronics and machines and had a really good kind of, uh, I guess, mechanical mindset for those kind of things. Uh, But he did all that stuff and he had mastered um, a lot of the electronical equipment, like, before graduating high school. So, eventually he went to college, he got a bachelor's in physics and then a master's in engineering administration. And in 1969, that was when he married his first wife. Their marriage, it didn't last long. It was one of those that was like, quote unquote, doomed from the start. I don't know why. Actually, I say that 99% sure it's because he's a fucking monster. So. I'm going to go with probably. 
yeah. But they divorced, and he eventually moved to Fairfax County, Virginia in the mid-70s, and he remarried. And that's like the Washington, D.C. metro area. During this time in the 70s, he worked for a lot of different like high-tech firms in the D.C. area. And also at this time, several teenage girls began disappearing in and around the area. He then, after like quitting his job or getting fired or kind of one of those like, we want to fire you, but you should go kind of things, he left and moved to Palm Bay, Florida in 1983. So many murderers live in Florida. So many murderers live in Florida. Oh my god. I'm like, I get it. You live in like the physical embodiment of swamp ass, but (laughs) uh, oh my god. Talk to a therapist. Don't kill people. So, a couple years before he moved to Florida, when he was still in D.C. in 1977, a 25-year-old secretary from Fairfax, Virginia, Deborah Fitzjohn, she disappeared. And Crutchley was, like, the prime suspect in her disappearance because he was not only her boyfriend, but his trailer was the last place she was ever seen alive. So he was questioned several times for involvement in her disappearance and just he was the main suspect, but nothing came out of it. There wasn't enough evidence to really move forward, even after um, her skeletonized body was found by a hunter the next year. It was one of those that like the police really felt like they knew it was him. They just didn't have enough to convict him or charge him or anything. Well, and I feel like that is one of the most frustrating things when you are pretty sure you know someone did it, but you cannot find the evidence to prove it. Because then you're not going to win anything if you try to bring him to court, try to arrest him. Like, they're going to get off and then you're going to lose your opportunity. It's so frustrating because, I mean, all things considered, later in life, I'm like, oh no, they, you did it. They almost had you. Deborah's disappearance and murder, that was like the first one and the the closest one early on that he was linked to, but it very much was not the only one. There were a ton of other disappearances in the area that weren't able to be definitively linked to Crutchley, but he was suspected of being involved in a lot of them. He, when he used to live in Pennsylvania previously... There were also a bunch of disappearances there. These these disappearing uh, young female victims uh, just seem to happen wherever he is. wonder why that is. He was even linked to the disappearance of two teenage girls, the Leon sisters from Maryland, and also the possible rape and murder of a teenager, Kathy Lynn Beattie, in Aspen Hill, which is the town that his second wife's family lived in. So pretty much all these places he's either lived in or has these connections, these are very um, similar things happening to the victims, very similar victim profiles. They just kind of always seem to surround him. It's almost like the six degrees of Crutchley. Like there's a connection to like all of these victims and him in some way. Oh yeah, but unfortunately he was never able to be definitively linked to them. So he was never charged or anything. In a lot of these cases, I don't think the connection was made until much later. So now we flash forward to late November, just after Thanksgiving 1985, in Malabar, which is in Brevard County, Florida. And 
At this moment, a nude teen woman, she's handcuffed both her feet and ankles, and she's crawling on the side of the road. Wait, feet and ankles? Yeah, that's what it says. Uh, I didn't catch that until you said it. I'm assuming they mean hands and ankles, but source technically says feet and ankles. It was hands and ankles. I feel like that would make more sense. Yeah. So she's handcuffed, naked, and she's crawling along the side of the road. And this is like middle of nowhere, Florida. Yeah. And it's along a highway. And she's covered in blood. Basically, she looks like she's already dead. And several trucks had passed by her on the highway. But then finally, one of them stopped to be like, oh my god, what the fuck is happening? Or what happened? She get, like gets in his car and she begs him, "Do not take me back to that house." And he's like, "What? What house? Where?" And she told him. She pointed to a house that was just off the road. She could see, and she was like, "Remember that house?" And he was like, "Okay." So he noted the location. Oh my god! And then so he takes her to his house because he just wanted to get her out of there, make sure he's she's safe. And when he's home, he calls the police and calls an ambulance for her. Good. Because also it's 1985, they don't have cell phones. I was getting really worried. I was like, okay, something's clearly already happened to her, and then this stranger takes her home. That's scary too, but cell phones, they yeah. don't exist. He was He was a good guy. And his concern and her concern was just getting out of there as quickly as possible. Yeah, away from that house. So she was taken to the hospital, and there they determined that she was missing between 40 and 45% of her blood, and she also had, like, ligature strangulation marks on her neck. Jeez. So the house that she had pointed at, that she had escaped from, was Crutchley's house. Did they? Is this finally a little bit more of something that they can get this guy on? You'll see. Yes and no. So... John Crutchley, his wife and his son were out of the house. They were visiting uh, his wife's family in Maryland for Thanksgiving. So he had the house to himself. And when he was driving near his house, he sees this young 19-year-old hitchhiker and offered to take her to the city of Melbourne nearby. Probably not pronounced Melbourne. It's Florida. It's probably like Melbourne, but Melbourne. I was about to say, why are we in Australia now? I'm confused. It's spelled the same. But he picks her up. He's like, sure, I'll take you to this town. But first, I need to stop by my house. I just need to run in and get a notebook for work. And she's like, I'm not comfortable. Because at first, he tries to like, oh, come in with me. You know, have a have a soda or something. She's like, no, I'll stay in the car. No, 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 no. So instead of going into the house and getting this notebook, he ties a ligature around her neck. And chokes her until she's unconscious. Oh my god. He then dragged her into the house, removed all of her clothing, and strapped her down to a counter he had in the kitchen. Like a kitchen island, he strapped her, like, legs and hands and, like, a those fucking torture boards. Yeah. When she woke up from unconsciousness, she sees she's tied to this countertop, her arms and legs are tied down and she can't move them at all. And then he'd also set up a video camera and lights that were pointing at her. Once she woke up, he raped her and he videotaped everything. And then he inserted needles into her arm and her wrist and he began extracting her blood 
and drinking it. Oh my god. And he's doing this and he's telling her that he's a vampire. After draining her of blood and raping her, he handcuffs her and puts her in the bathtub. And then he, you know, a couple hours later, returns again to rape her, take more blood, drink it. The next morning, he does that all again. He leaves her in the bathroom and goes to work. And he tells her that he'll be back later to do this again. And if she tries to escape, his brother is in the house too and is watching it. And he'll kill her. I bet there's no brother. Well, she didn't think so either. Or she didn't give a fuck and was like, well, this is my chance. This is my opportunity. Right. Because once he left the house, she waited. And remember, she's handcuffed wrists ankles she's lost half her blood she's literally on the verge of death but she's able to get up and push the bathroom window out and crawl out of the bathroom window across the yard to the road and was able to flag down the motorist and the doctor said that if she had not escaped then one more round of blood extraction that would have killed her she didn't have any left. I mean, really. She was already missing, like, what'd you say, like 45% of her blood? Yeah, basically half. Yeah. You can't and not so, have that much of your blood. Yeah. And her attack, all of this, it lasted over 20 hours. Jeez. So once she's rescued and taken to the hospital, the police are notified. The driver remembered the house. She thankfully survived her ordeal and so was able to describe the man, describe the house. And so a search warrant was issued for Crutchley's house. They go into his house. They find the videotape in the camera, but it had been partially erased. Damn it. Because he'd had enough time with all this, you know, to come back, notice she was gone and start removing as much evidence as he could. And the victim, she said that that videotape contained the evidence of her rape, the blood extraction, all of that, but he'd erased most of it. But there was still enough evidence that he was arrested during the search. When the police were there, they took a bunch of photographs, and in the house there were stacks of credit cards, different, like, ID cards of random women, women's jewelry, little trinkets, and trophies. So he kept a lot of the things that were serving as evidence for a lot of these crimes that he had gotten away with. Yes, but not enough to really tie him to them completely kind of thing. Because a lot of the stuff, it wasn't necessarily taken in as evidence. It was photographed. And when they came back later to do a second search, most of it was gone. Why would they leave it? He's got like a stack of IDs and credit cards. You don't just take a photo. You need all of those. I don't think I don't think they necessarily knew what they were when they were snapping photos and stuff. Yeah, but if they had a warrant for his house, man, you just take things. Yeah. Oh my god. I'm just picturing in my head like a photograph of a stack of cards and IDs, and you can pretty much only see the top, maybe another one peeking out. But wow. And, well these stacks were described as several inches thick. That's what I'm saying. You cannot see mm -hmm. what's in that stack. So the police, local authorities, they contacted an FBI investigator, Wrestler, who was 
pretty much an expert on serial killers and uh, profiling and things like that. And he looked over the evidence and he was like, oh, yeah, Crutchley has killed before. This is not his first time. Absolutely not. Um, He identified him as a serial killer of the organized type. And so Ressler started a second search. And because he was part of the FBI and had a lot more of like background insight on this, it was a much wider scope and much more detailed search and investigation into Crutchley. Wait, I'm sorry. Did you say wrestler, like with an R, not a W? I was wondering if you would catch that. Okay. When you first said it, I thought you said wrestler, like like the sport. But you said wrestler. So, yeah. Okay. Y'all, he's the guy. He was the FBI profiler that worked with John Douglas and that coined the term serial killer. So this dude knows his shit. Oh, yeah. He was a profiler. He worked on Dahmer case, Bundy, Richard Chase, John Joubert. Like, I would say Wrestler and John Douglas are probably, like, the two most famous FBI people. Yeah. I mean, so John Douglas's book, Mindhunter, which there's the Netflix show that's based off of this. Wrestler's the guy that's going out with... um, So it's Holden and... uh, Bill Camp, I think, is the other FBI agent's name. And I'm pretty sure that I Camp... Know. I know you don't know. I'm talking to our listeners right now. Um, but I know, obviously, Holden is John Douglas. It's Bill Tench. Bill Tench, not Camp. I don't know where I got Camp from. But, yeah. I only know that because I literally just pulled up the Wikipedia page. And I was like... <laughs> You're like, come on, it's Bill Tench, Brittany. Get it together. Uh, like, obviously, it's my favorite show that I've definitely seen any of. Anyway, that's Wrestler. So, okay, you had Wrestler on this case. Dang. Mm-hmm. He definitely knows how to spot a serial killer and that this was not the first time and that he was a very organized killer. This dude yeah. is the profiler. The profiler of profilers. Yes. So in this second search that Wrestler led, he found 72 three by 5 note cards that Crutchley had. And on them, Crutchley had written down women's names and described their sexual performances. No, these are like serial killer scorecards. Yeah. And these women, the ones they were able to track down, they contacted them and they said that Crutchley had crossed the line. It was not the kinky sex or consensual in any way. These were sexual assaults that involved restraint. Yeah. And his wife, his second wife, you know, the one that was in Maryland with family over Thanksgiving when um, the Brevard County teenage victim escaped. Yeah, his wife cooperated in some of these acts and was totally aware and a part of all of it. And I am about to read probably one of the most infuriating statements. So if y'all are drinking wine with us or anything Fill your glass now. Because Crutchley's wife, after this, the victim escaped, the media is swarming and stuff. And she gave a comment to the press regarding the attack. And she said, and I quote, that it was just a gentle rape and devoid of any overt brutality. I'm sorry, that is the biggest oxymoron that I have ever heard. That's beyond insulting and degrading and disrespectful 
And I don't know if she herself was also maybe a victim of domestic violence or coercion or sexual assault by her husband or not, or just a very willing participant in the rape and assaults of all these women. But uh, yeah, gentle rape devoid of overt brutality is how she described it. And first off, there is no such thing as a gentle rape. That's no. Devoid of overt brutality, she was tied down, handcuffed, and drained of half her blood. Sounds pretty brutal to me. Yeah. And it's, that stuff's not even, there's there's no question about that. No. It's not like there's, at this time, still uncovering like, oh, what happened? That's known. The young woman, the victim, she'd been so traumatized by the attack and everything that initially she didn't want to press charges. And eventually she was working with a rape counselor and was able to talk to them and basically was able to get up the courage to press charges. And her counselor told her that convicting Crutchley, this is going to help prevent this happening to anyone else. And so she did press charges. But I'm like, that, first off, okay, (laughs) let me gather my thoughts. It's just so infuriating. Yeah. Not, uh, this whole case, it's a lot. It's heavy. I'm glad she was able to build up the courage that it takes, because that is not easy to press charges. I know, to to have that strength. Yeah. Because... I, I just think that piece of it, that is, it's so traumatizing that she doesn't even want to confront it by pressing charges and stuff. Yeah. Like, I'm like, yeah, that totally makes sense. I, I'm so glad she had this counselor who was working with her and helping her through all of this. Yeah. So in June of 1986, Crutchley plea bargained to guilty on kidnap and rape charges in exchange for dropping the grievous bodily harm charge for um, extracting her blood. Also, it was like a drug possession charge. But he he got a plea bargain, so he was just charged with kidnap and rape. But during the sentencing, um, even though the grievous bodily harm for extracting her blood was dropped, it, it still came up. And Good. He claimed that he'd been introduced to blood drinking by a nurse friend in 1970 as part of a sexual ritual. And he said that it shouldn't be considered in his sentencing, because in this case, he actually didn't drink the blood because it had coagulated before he could, so he he couldn't get it down. And his wife told reporters that her husband wasn't guilty, but he's just a, you know, kinky sort of guy. Dude, no, don't drink blood. Yeah. And also, I'm like, okay, you're saying, oh, well, because I didn't actually, I wasn't able to drink the blood, so we shouldn't talk about this. You still extracted and bled her almost to death. Whether you drink it or not is not the fucking issue here. He's just a kinky sort of guy. Oh, my. Literally, you can't have kink without consent. If there's not consent, it's not a kink. It's rape and assault. I mean, 100%. Like, this is... I want to know... I want to know why his wife is defending him so much. I'm trying to give her benefit of the doubt and think that she's a victim as well. But I I know we don't have the answers to that. Yeah. I mean, she lived with the guy. So, like I said, I want to think she was a victim in some way as well. Yeah. But it also... Only because I just don't want her to be as evil as he is. But that could also be the case, too. 
I know. It, it's also one, though, that even if she is a victim, at what point is it, you know, still her actions are non-excusable? You know, if she was a part of some of these other victims, right. you know, hold, holding them down or tying them down while her husband does these things. I don't know that answer. Because at some point, I don't know, it's, it's such a gray area. It, both are true. You can be a victim and a monster at the same time. Yeah. So based on the testimony from Ressler at the sentencing hearing, the judge actually chose to exceed the state guidelines for the sentencing and sentenced Crutchley to 25 years to life in prison and 50 years of parole. But after serving 11 years of his sentence, he was released in 1996 for good behavior. I don't think so. Like, I just, good behavior, come on. He, right when he got out of prison, he was originally going to move to Bridgeport, uh, West Virginia, where his mom lived. But the officials and the city were like, no, fuck no, you are not coming into our town. And refused to let him enter. Can you actually do that? Like, not allow someone to move to your city? Yeah, like the police or, I don't know, city council. They can make those decisions. And be like, uh, no, you're not coming here. I did not you're a know that. horrible monster. He also tried to move to Malabar. Same thing. The town was like, we will murder you if you step into our city limits. And also in Melbourne, he was not able to go there. Basically, everyone was like, you are the most vicious, disgusting monster we've ever seen. If you come near us, we will throw you in a wood chipper and throw a parade. Jesus. I mean, they didn't say that. I did. But that's the vibes I'm getting. I mean, those are definitely the vibes. So what did he do? Where did he go? He's out of jail. So he was transferred to a uh, probation and basically a halfway house in Orlando where he'd do counseling and pay his restitution while on probation. But less than a day later, less than 24 hours later... He was arrested again for violating parole because he tested positive for marijuana. But he he denied smoking. He said, I didn't do it. The inmates actually were just sitting next to me and blowing weed smoke in my face. It's not, it's not how this works. It's stupid. <laughs> and also, at trial, the prosecutors had a video where he was confessing to a corrections officer that he did smoke the weed because he was nervous about getting released and wanted to relax so they're like dude we literally have you doing this and because of the three strikes law in florida this violation of his parole got him life in prison i'm glad he went back because me oh my gosh i was pissed that it was only 11 years but i could tell Uh this story wasn't over so i'm like okay what's going on oh yeah Although, can I just say, I'm glad he got put back in prison, not because of, like, marijuana, I don't think, I mean, he broke his parole, there are lots of questions around it, but what I'm getting at is, thank God he did not go and hurt someone, and that's how he was caught. Yes. So, if breaking his parole happened to be smoking marijuana, then so be it. This may be the only time I'm supportive of someone going to prison over marijuana. Yeah. I mean, breaking his parole, that violation, I'm like, "Mm -hmm, bye. And for listeners, for those of y'all that aren't familiar with, like, what a three strikes law is, it's a thing some states have where three felonies is mandatory life in prison. I think it's super fucked up because it could be three felony drug possessions 
if you got caught with a little baggie of weed on you three times, life in prison. Damn. Mandatory. So because his first two counts were for the kidnapping and rape, that was two, and then probation violation was third. Mandatory life in prison. In this case, I think he shouldn't have gotten out after 11 years. I agree. And should have just been in prison for life in general. But yeah, so he, it was three strikes laws what put him away for life. You know, that's actually really frustrating that it wasn't Uh his actual case necessarily. And his, he was sentenced to 25 to life, then got out after 11. And then it was like a loophole almost that got him put back in. I don't know. The three strikes law, I feel like if you really think hard about it, it's not hard to commit three felonies at a time that are not that, I'll say not that big of a deal, but like are not at any kind of level that would be considered life in prison. Like, let's say you are, I don't know, at a bar or whatever, and you get in a bar fight and you had a little bag of weed and a, I don't know, a bag of coke on you. That's two counts of possession and one of assault at life in prison. Oh my God. And it's, it's one that in the state's, I don't know if it's all the states with this law, but many of them, judges don't have a say. Right, it's just the law. Even if that judge does not want to put you in prison for life, those crimes do that. The punishment does not equal those crimes. They have to. Is it no parole? Life without the possibility of parole? I think so. Jesus. Also, assault? So you can punch someone in a bar, and if they file charges, that's a felony? I mean, they have to be felony assault. I think you'd have to... Like, really uh, hurt? Honestly, just depend on how good their lawyer was. Oh, my God. Okay. That's, that's a it, rabbit hole I don't necessarily want to go down. But that it's one mm-hmm. of those things that, like, no, you should never punch someone at a bar. Like, let's just all be adults about this. But the fact that that could give you a felony is mind-boggling. When we talk about things like, I don't, I don't know, I was about to get really graphic, but there's no need to. But when we talk about murder. Well, I mean, shit, my hypothetical person who got in a bar fight with two different drugs on him would get a life sentence and if crutchley had not smoked weed he would have gone 11 years exactly like are you fucking kidding me okay well um i am absolutely horrified the justice system doesn't make sense a lot of the time so on march 30th of 2002 he'd been back in prison for five years basically he crutchley died in prison The officials reported that he'd been found dead in his cell with a plastic bag over his head, and the cause of death was listed as asphyxiation. So was he killed, or did he kill himself? Well, the official report that uh, came out about a year later declared that he died from autoerotic asphyxiation. So he did it to himself. Yeah. Which, um, I'm not here to kink shame anyone. Don't choke yourself while you masturbate, you'll die. Don't put a plastic bag over your head ever. Don't put a plastic bag over your head, don't put a belt around your neck. Don't bring yourself to the brink of death so you can get a, you know, a plus 10% on your orgasm. Not worth it. Don't do it. Not worth it. No. But yeah, so he he died in prison and uh, in the end, John Brennan Crutchley was suspected of murdering up to 30 women. And raping and torturing and sexual assault of what could be hundreds of women. But he was never tried or convicted of murder. But we're pretty sure he murdered people. Yeah. But yeah, that is my case of the vampire rapist. 
While he was put in jail for life, I am so frustrated at how. I am so frustrated that it wasn't the true justice. It's like O.J. Simpson. You know, now granted, I know he's not in prison for life. He's out right now. But when he got caught in Vegas and he was given like max time, to some people it was like, yes, he's in prison. Which, yes, I'm glad he was off the streets. I'm glad he was in prison. But he wasn't in prison for the murder of Nicole and Ron. Like, Yeah. It's like that. that's what got the sentence, not this horrible thing that is absolutely deserving of this harsh penalty. It, it's the it's this thing. Yeah. I also, it just blows my mind that he got out after 11 years on good behavior when pretty much everything up and until, I mean, the judge was like, no, I'm giving you more than the, ma- than the standard maximum. Yeah. You're a fucking monster. 50 years to life. And you get out after 11. Who the fuck signed off on that? I don't know. These are the times when the web of our justice system is just so frustrating. And it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And there's, you know, the federal and then the state and then the local. And it just, it's such a web. It is. It absolutely is. But um, one silver lining bright side to my case is at its core, it is a survivor case. Because uh, as a teenage victim... She was able to escape and survive. I like that spin. It is a survivor mm-hmm. case, and she was put through hell and back. She is such a badass fighter. Yeah. The mindset of him literally telling her, like, my brother's watching, he'll kill you, and her being like, fuck it, this is my chance. Well, and like, it, it was basically like, well, if I. Yeah, if I try to escape and he kills me, okay, but you're going to kill me anyway. I can already tell that. So I'm going to take my chances. And she had been attacked and assaulted and raped multiple times over 20 hours and lost half her blood volume and still was, and was handcuffed and had to crawl and was able to escape. Uh, Oh my God, that strength. She is a badass. But yeah, that is my case. And, um,. I am so glad I have another drink. I was about to say, do you need your second can of Strongbow now? It, I had it on my bed behind me because I knew I would need it. Well, this is clearly just going to be an episode filled with horror. Like, actual... Uh, most of our episodes are. They are, but the vampire layer of this episode just intensifies so much because it's... The fact that people think they're actually vampires is just beyond me. And... For real. That added this extra layer of absolute horror to your case, and it's going to add it to mine, too. Also, can we talk about, I don't know, just the thought of drinking blood is so fucking gross. I mean, and I'm not, I'm not someone who, like, if I cut my tongue, I'm not like, ew, so gross. I'm like, okay, yeah, copyright, whatever. Like, doesn't bother. But I'm also not drinking like, just a mouthful of blood, your own or someone else's. <laughs> oh, that's I'm so sorry. gross. Like, no. I, I'm, I'm sorry uh, to all our listeners in Ireland and Scotland and all y'all who love your blood sausage. That's also different. But That's at least not cooked, chugging. right? I know, you're not chug-a-lugging a cup of blood. Okay, you ready for me to jump into my case? I, I'm not. I'm really not. But... 
you gotta. It's it's how we roll. It's it's how this podcast works. So go ahead. I'm gonna sit here and drink and really wish that this strongbow was uh, stronger. I'm going to pour some more wine. And this wine has improved. I will say. Maybe it's because I've had a glass of it already. Maybe it's because I had to listen to your story and I just needed it. Or maybe it's breathing and needed a good half hour to breathe and taste better. But yeah, it's better. It's still probably not one I'm going to buy again. You know, just as, as Ariana says, and I say it to my wine, just keep breathing and breathing and breathing. But you can't say it to your wine tonight because you don't have any. I'm letting my strongbow breathe. The apple tannins are doing their shit. If you let it breathe too long, it loses the carbonation, and then it's just weird-tasting apple juice. I mean, cider in general is weird-tasting apple (laughs) juice, but yes. All right. So the case that I'm doing is Rod Farrell and the Vampire Cult. The sources I used, an article from Wikipedia, the Rod Farrell page, the Beargrass Thunder blog, which is interesting name, but... Amazing blog. Sounds like um, a vodka brand. Beargrass Thunder. It does. I drink that. Mm-hmm. Two articles from Oxygen. One of them was by Aditi Kinney, and the other was by Benjamin Smith. And then a documentary from MSNBC, Interview with a Vampire, which is a disgusting play on words to Anne Rice's Interview with a Vampire, the movie with Tom okay. Cruise and Brad Pitt, their vampires in Louisiana. Yeah. Yeah, I've obviously never seen it. I've heard it's the acting's very bad. Uh, but okay, you said Interview with a Vampire, and I was like, wait, isn't that a thing? Yep. It is. So Rod, his name was actually Roderick, and he did not have an easy life growing up. He was born to his then 16-year-old mom, Sandra G- <laughs> What? I'm sorry. He didn't have an easy life growing up. He was born. I'm like, oh, shit, me too. <laughs> Starts going downhill from there. For him, it did. Um, so his mom was 16. Sandra Gibson. His birth date. Sorry. <laughs> I wrote this down totally out of order, but it's March 28th, 1980. And he was born in Murray, Kentucky. Oh, yours is more recent then. Yeah. When you said the year of yours, I was like, oh, Okay. Yeah, so he was born just five years before your guy was caught. So Rod's father abandoned him to serve in the military, and he was never a part of his life. Sandra and Rod did not have a stable home life. They would bounce back and forth between living with Sandra's parents and different public public housing units. Sandra also introduced Rod to vampires and the macabre from a very young age. The two of them bonded over Dracula films and Vampire the Massacred, which was a series of comic books. Sandra was far from the ideal mother. She had a very questionable and complex relationship with Rod. And this was something that Rod said in his... (laughs) Yeah, that's... Yeah, Tyler's face is... I don't... (laughs) Saying incest, and that's what I'm thinking, too. Yeah. Any uh, questionable and quote-unquote complex relationship a son has with his mother... In this scenario, I'm like, did you mean Oedipus? Yeah, th- I'm. I'm. It does not say incest, but this next part that I'm about to tell you would lead you to believe that she is the type of character that would do something like that. So, when she was 34 years old, she was caught writing very disturbing love letters to a 14 year old boy. Oh my god! Yeah, in the letter, in one of the letters that was found, she said. 
I long to be near you for your embrace. Yes, to become a vampire, a part of the family, immortal and truly yours forever. I only hope that one day you will once again return to Murray. You will then come for me and cross me over. And I will be your bride for eternity and you my sire. Which, Sandra's got some shit she needs to work out, and it's not with 14-year-old boys or her son Rod. No. Oh my god. So that's Rod's home life. And when he was 16 years old, all of his vampire delusions led him to lead a ritualistic vampire cult. As you do. Oh, as you do. Like, obviously, you are raised thinking vampires are like the coup d'etat, the way to be, the thing to aspire to. Yeah. The coup d'etat? Yeah, I don't know. What does that mean? That's a coup, like a government overthrow is a coup d'etat. So I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't think that's what you read. Do you mean like creme de la creme? That's the one. You know, you just love vampires. So you're like, fuck it. Overthrow. <laughs> Anarchy, bitches. You know, oh, way to keep God. me honest. Thank you. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Staging a coup with his vampire cult. This is getting interesting. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't. It's not too far stretched. Okay. So the rest of this vampire clan's members, they came from equally depressing and very disturbing home life situations. Some of the members most notable were Scott Anderson, which was Rod's like best friend, right-hand man, Chastity Kesey, his then 16-year-old girlfriend, Dana Cooper, who was a friend, and Heather Windorf, which... Rod really saw her as that damsel in distress and a victim. So these are a bunch of like high school kids that are like vampire club. Yes. Basically. Yes. And Uh, they all took comfort in being able to like be a part of a group. And they were all outsiders. They all were like-minded. And they felt that they were growing up in a time and a place where things were generally unaccepting of anything non-traditional. So they would yeah. they came together and they were like, all right, we're going to, I don't know, be this like breakfast club group of vampire friends. I But honestly, I'm like, so far, okay. You know, there's a little, little weird group of vampire goth kids. Okay. Yes. High school kids are weird like that. They are. And so far, this is not too crazy. Like, it's a little bit questionable. And they all had not the best upbringings and That leads to how this becomes an innocent, weird high school thing to more. Yeah, let's just say they all, they all smell like fish sticks. Their meetup, what? I don't even understand that. I don't, just. Their meetup spot was called Vampire Hotel. And it was this like dilapidated. It's not very creative. No, it's not. But it was this very dilapidated structure in the middle of the woods near Kentucky Lake. Yeah. This is where they would throw their parties. They would use psychedelic drugs and they would take part in different types of rituals at the vampire hotel. Okay. And while they were all together, Heather, again, Rod's like damsel in distress figure, she would tell stories about suffering abuse at the hands of her father. And this would really piss off Rod. And um, also, sorry if I called him Rob at any part of this because my brain just like makes the b and the d but it's rod rodrick so rod's pissed that heather's going through this and then heather had to move away rod 
became obsessed with this situation still, and the two of them ended up racking up hundreds of dollars in long-distance phone bills for the Windorf family, which was Heather's family. This, again, back in the time when long-distance between states was a thing. Ew. I mean, this- Call them after 9 p.m. It's free. This was a thing in my childhood. Like, definitely, uh, I was guilty of doing this. I've literally uh, never had to worry about long distance charges or uh, ever had to understand anything about them. I'm so young. (laughs) So the final straw for Rod was when Heather's parents finally cut off this phone conversing. They were like, this is too expensive. Stop talking to this boy. Like, no. So this is when Rod rallied the group together and they were going to go on this rescue mission to rescue Heather from her family. And the abuse that she was victim to. And they were going to take her, save her from her parents, and they were all going to run away to to New Orleans to start their very own vampire family and live happily ever after. So literally, they probably read Interview with with a Vampire by Anne Rice. New Orleans is one of those cities. Like, we've been there. If you're a vampire or think you're a vampire, I mean, that's where you'd go. I mean, yeah, there are Forks, Washington. It's, you know, <laughs> six of one, half dozen the other. Basically. Um, it's like, do you like po' boys? Well, okay. no But um, Do you like the uh, rain? Forks. Yeah. yeah. Well, unfortunately, things did not go according to plan. On November 25th, 1996, Rod and his vampire cult made the 750-mile drive from Murray, Kentucky to Eustis, Florida. Eustis was where Heather had moved to. Florida. I know. Both our cases are Florida. Vampires are in Florida. You Floridians, watch out. Apparently. Oh my god, alligator vampires. That's just nightmares. Alligators, Florida in general, like, the fact that it's like... Oh, yeah, you just got to get used to, oh, yeah, there's an alligator in the yard, like we would be used to seeing a rabbit in the yard. Oh, dude. No. It's alligators in the yard. It's snakes in vases in your home. Snakes in the toilet. Like, this is real. Like, Florida is like the Australia of the United States as far as wildlife (gasps) is concerned. Like, there's so much wildlife there, and I'm not used to that shit. I know there's a lot of wildlife here in Texas, but- We've got, like, mountain lions and rattlesnakes. I guess there are snakes. I don't let... And I don't do it. And I have the world's largest urban colony of bats. It's true, which is so weird. They're so little. I know. Bats are stupid. They're little chicken nuggets with wings. (laughs) Okay, but if Austin did not have those, think of how bad the mosquitoes would be. They're already bad. So think about that. That's so real. So... The vampire Colt and Rod picked Heather up, and not long after, their vehicle broke down. So Heather and Rod make a deal, and she would use her keys to unlock her house, her parents' house, so that her family's car could be stolen, and then the clan could complete their trip to New Orleans. They're really dumb. This also reminds me of your traveling murderers, like that group of um, teenagers that like really wanted to get to New Orleans for a vacation. Yeah. So in exchange, so Heather's going to give the vampire cult like access to her home to steal the family's car. Rod agreed to perform the turning ritual in which she would consume his blood and would officially become a vampire forever. 
So apparently in this scenario, Rod's a vampire. He's the cult leader, so obviously he's a vampire. I don't really understand why they had to make a deal, but apparently they did. So this ritual took place early in the morning in a Eustace cemetery. Rod consumed a significant amount of LSD before Heather admitted to drinking Rod's blood from a self-inflicted razor blade wound. That is just a really good way to get hepatitis. It's just something you shouldn't ever do. No. Then, after the ritual, the group departed to get the car from Heather's house. When they got to the Windorf residence, Rod and Scott, so Scott is like Rod's best friend, they entered the house through the garage and they found Richard Windorf, her dad, peacefully sleeping on the living room couch and his wife Ruth was in the shower. Rod and Scott entered the home through this unlocked garage and on their way in, they picked up a crowbar. Oh, shit. Before Richard had even woken up, Rod beat him multiple times with the crowbar, ended up fracturing his skull and ribs, and almost instantly knocking him out, and shortly thereafter killing him. Rod ended up giving 22 blows to his face. When Ruth found Rod and Scott in the home just a few moments later after her husband had been attacked, she lunged at Rod and threw a very hot cup of coffee at him, which really pissed him off. Originally, he was just going to hurt her, but like when he saw her, he was like, oh, I'm going to hurt her. But when she threw the coffee on him, he was like, just kidding, I'm going to kill her. He retaliated with the crowbar and hit her in the face. This blow was so hard that it severed her brainstem, which killed her instantly, which for her sake was a good thing because Rod continued to beat her with the crowbar until her brain was exposed and all over the floor. Holy shit. So after Rod and Scott killed Ruth and Richard, they proceeded to ritualistically burn the two of them and dance around their bodies on the living room floor as they were like literally burning before they left they walked around the house and stole valuables such as jewelry and credit cards before they grabbed the family's ford explorer and left the bodies would then be discovered by heather's 17 year old sister jennifer when she returned home from work that night oh god i know i hate it when family members discover um, they're murdered parents sister husband anything god and just how brutal the attacks richard was found with burn marks in the shape of a v and this v was said to be rod's symbol so like vampire whatever which he also accompanied with a dot for each person he considered to be in his vampire cult so there were markings on the bodies heather and the other girls that were with rod and scott They were not at the Windorf home when the murders took place. So Charity and Dana, they drove Heather to her boyfriend's apartment so she could say goodbye to him before they all left for New Orleans. And they left Rod and Scott outside the Windorf home. Heather was completely unaware that her parents had been murdered until later. She thought that Rod and Scott literally just went into the home using her keys to steal the car. She had no idea the murder was a part of this plan. After the bodies were found, murder warrants were 
put out for the group of teens on November 27th, so just a couple days later. And after four days of driving through four different states, the group was found in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. They kind of overshot New Orleans then. Well, it was said that Rod really liked this video arcade in New Orleans, and they were headed there eventually. But yeah, they kind of did a roundabout. Mm-hmm. That That's not how you get to New Orleans. Charity ended up placing a call to her grandmother in South Dakota, and she was telling her that she needed money. Me too. (laughs) I know. It's like, I guess the group is out of money. They're traveling to New Orleans, and Charity was like, oh, my, my grandmother will totally help us. However, her grandmother informed the police about the whereabouts of the group and helped them track Rod, Heather, Scott, Charity, and Dana as they were going into a local Howard Johnson hotel. And this is where they were arrested, and they were held at a Baton Rouge jail for a week before being extradited back to Florida, because that's where the crime took place. So at first, Rod was in complete denial. He was saying that he was being framed by a rival vampire gang, that he did not commit these murders. But eventually, with an overwhelming amount of evidence piled against him, on February 12th, 1998, Rod, who was at this time 17 years old, pleaded guilty to the murders, claiming that the others who were traveling with him were innocent, except for Scott, who was his accessory. Rod pleaded guilty to two counts of felony murder, and his attorneys tried to argue that he was insane. He had been diagnosed with mental disorders, including schizotypal schizotypal personality disorder and Asperger's syndrome. Okay. And the University of Florida further attested to the fact that Rod could sometimes witness spiritual things like angels and demons. So Judge Jerry T. Lockett ended up sentencing Rod to death. Charity and Dana made plea deals in exchange for reduced sentences. Charity was sentenced to 10 years, and she was actually released in 2008. And Dana for 17 years, and she was released in 2015. Scott Anderson, Rod's BFF, he received two life sentences. And the amount of his involvement in the murders has really come under speculation. He claims he never touched Richard or Ruth Wendorf. He said that he tried to calm Rod and he failed. And Rod then went crazy and bashed in the skulls of Ruth and Richard with a crowbar, with the crowbar. For two years, Rod held the record as the youngest inmate on death row until November 2000, when the Florida Supreme Court reduced his sentence to life in prison. And also because Florida had long abolished parole his uh, life sentence didn't have any with it. Oh. In January 2013, an appellate court dismissed attempts by Rod and Scott to get a new sentencing hearing. But in December 2018, Scott was resentenced by Don Briggs to 40 years in prison. And he was given credit for the 22 years that he had already served. And so he will be eligible for release in 2031. Which, to be totally honest, there's not a lot of evidence that Scott did much at all. He was an accessory yeah. to murder, but he's he's got a pretty hefty, hefty sentence, um, even with this adjusted 40 years. 
Yeah. At least he will eventually be eligible for release. Ruth Windorf's relatives attended Scott's resentencing hearing, and they did not oppose his early release. They said they were more concerned about Rod, who was scheduled to face his own resentencing in July 2019, so last year. Yeah. But his resentencing was moved to November 18th, and then again to April 2020, so just, like, not too long ago. I bet it didn't happen, because coronavirus! No, it did. And the sentencing judge upheld his life without parole sentence and deemed him irreparably corrupt. Boom. So that is the case of Rod Farrell and his vampire cult. These two cases... You know, we just thought we had already done the vampire cases, but turns out we had only scratched the surface, which is very scary. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, postmortem? Yeah, postmortem. You take the lead. Okay, so clearly both of these cases are incredibly intense. What are your thoughts on no longer picking an intensity meter winner? Honestly, yeah, I'm so down for that. There are too many times... When I will catch myself when we're doing postmortems being like, you know, are we comparing, like, are we trying to, like, rank victims? Or, and, and that's not what we do. No. And that's never been the point. But there are just certain times when it can feel kind of like that, that I'm like, you know, that's not, that's not the point. And also, it's just in general, I, I feel like trying to quantify the intensity. Uh, how do you do that? It's so subjective. And we always bring really intense cases. That's the point of highlighting these victims. So I'm just gonna say you pick the topic next week and we just switch off. I'm fine flip-flopping. And then if, if I have a topic I really want to do and it's your turn, I'm just gonna uh, steal it from you. Uh, Sames. But speaking of these cases, Wow. Like I said, we had barely scratched the surface of what we thought were doing vampire cases, and these were more than I thought we were going to talk about. Like, I just wasn't really prepared for this episode. Like, I thought I was. Same. I mean, I went into this being like, ugh, vampires. It's, like, kitschy, and... But after this, I'm like, oh, my god, these are some of the most horrifying and fucked up cases we've ever done. When a human actually thinks that they are a vampire, and a vampire is truly the epitome of horror, like Dracula and Transylvania, like all of these things are one of the scariest monsters that have ever been created. And so when a human actually thinks that they're one of those beings, yeah, that's going to give you a pretty fucked up murder. Y'all, vampires aren't real. Yeah, if you needed to hear it, vampires like, are not real. I don't, I'm sorry. If you want to be something of like, that I feel like st- in that same category of like monsters, and you want to be like, I'm this, pick one that's real. You know, be a pirate or a ninja. You're not a zombie. You're not a vampire. Those aren't real. Maybe just don't be a monster. Yeah, maybe just be you. And you're not a monster. And that's a person. You're just a person. There's a lot of people like you and a lot more that aren't like you at all. (laughs) Welcome to the human race. All right. So next week, you're picking the topic, dude. Okay. I'm going to pick something. 
I have no idea what yet, but uh, it's it's going to be something. It's going to be a topic. The episode 108 will have a topic. Just you wait. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad to hear it. Well, we already talked about rating and reviewing at the top of the hour or top of the however far we are into this. But also yes. be sure you have liked and followed us on social. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can go and check out all the wines that we've had, see our beautiful faces. We got to see each other in person in the middle of May, and oh my god, mm-hmm. it was amazing. We, we were wearing our masks, but it was really good to see each other in person. It'd been way too long. Wait, this episode this episode comes out two days before my birthday. Does it really? Happy birthday. Yeah, by the way, my birthday is May 28th, so. Happy birthday, Tyler. I forgot. <laughs> I'll be 27. Oh my gosh. You're getting so old. You're like no longer my baby brother. Like you will always be my baby brother, but like you're kind of a full-blown adult now. No. How does it feel? I'm so old and yet so single. I mean, I'm older than Ugh. you and still so single. So watch your words. Watch your face. Fair. But uh, yeah, I'm be 27. And... One thing I always like to ask of others on their birthday, and I guess also think of myself, is like, what's the one thing you want to either accomplish or make strides towards while you're 27 or while you're whatever age? And kind of setting goals like that. Almost like New Year's resolutions, but for your how old you are. But also not stuff like, <laughs> I want to like, eat less sweets, but... I don't know, things like growth and development focused. There you go. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna think on that stuff and uh yeah. Twenty seven quarantine birthday. Quarantine birthday. I'm gonna order a cupcake through Uber Eats and need it alone. Order more than with the cats and necks. <laughs> order more than one cupcake. I actually don't like cupcakes. I'm not gonna order them. I'm gonna order a ice cream cake and some lactate. I mean that sounds like a party. Boom. It'll be fun. Uh, but with that, uh, thank y'all so much for tuning in. I uh, hope y'all enjoyed this episode as much as we did. And with that, this is Blood and Wine signing off. XOXO. Bye, you guys. Bye.